Christ is risen. He is risen we will wait for this to, to get warmed up. It looks like it's coming. Um, we had just covered the first two verses of 1 Peter uh, last week, uh, so hopefully we will get a little bit more done this week, but we don't have the introduction to do this week. Um, but before we get into that, any follow-up, anything that's been sitting in your mind on verses 1 and 2 from the last during this week as you had a chance to mull it over? Um, maybe just a comment of his, his description of the, these Christians as elect exiles or strangers, elect strangers. Like it's kind of a contrast there. They're chosen, but they don't belong. So they have this, this contradictory sort of sense of like, do I belong here? It, like not in this world, but I'm elect. That, I, I, that, that God has chosen me. Um, and so even if I don't belong here, or if I feel like I'm alone here, I'm not because, because they are the elect. We're going to um, see another reference to, to something related to that here in this next section. So we're going to look at verses 3 through 9. And why don't we read that again? Uh, just because it's been a week. So we'll read just verses 3 through 9 together. From here, if you have, again, if you have a Bible, some of the Bibles there are NIV, some are ESV. Uh, what you'll see here is the ESV. Um, I've got the NIV over here, too, if we need to refer to that. But shall we read that together? We'll use the ESV here. Starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is perishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, uh, <laughs> you think that there's some, some very long, complicated sentences in there, but it's, it's shortened up from the Greek, um, so, which is longer than any normal sentences we'd ever have. If you ever, you're reading the newspaper, you'd never see a sentence this long. Um, in modern English. Uh, but it was totally normal in Greek. And in fact, this whole section, as, the, as number five on the sheet says, this whole section in Greek is one sentence. It's all connected. In English, we break it up um, here. And that's what we'll do first, is we're going to look at that and just see how, how this is all strung together. 
So Greek has this way, and Latin does the same other uh, inflected languages, have a way of, of doing that so that they just, they, they hook one sentence, what is for us one sentence, onto the other, and it's just one running after the other. And languages like that can do that um, because of their inflected nature, like because you can tell how they're connected, and you can just keep on going. And you can just, you know, you'll, there'll be sentences, you know, in a, a page of, of some, in German will do this too, it'll be a, a whole page and it's just one sentence. Um, and it's, that's crazy because in German they like to pile the verbs on at the end. And so you have like two lines that are just verbs. <laughs> just collecting all the verbs from the, all these clauses and they're all nestled together and related. So sometimes we need to, on, on, for, in English then we need to kind of separate them. But it's useful for us to kind of connect them back together. That's what I'd like to do um, for us to see how these are connected. What are separate sentences? So the first one is the short one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. And the connection is to Christ. So what you'll usually see is a pronoun near the beginning of the sentence. And what that's doing is taking the place of a word in the previous sentence and now not just starting over. Um, and so it's, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to uh, who? So in Greek, it just uses a relative pronoun. Uh, who, according to his great mercy. So it just continues the sentence. We can break it off there and just say, according to his great mercy. Then this long section, to an inheritance of the next period, here it is. Um, Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We want to talk about this later on specifically, because this is going to matter. Because we have to figure out what this is. So ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. And what's the this? That's the connective. But when we get to it, we're going we're gonna to track down what that is. Because it's not totally obvious. Normally, uh, you know the rule, the grammar rule for a pronoun. The closest noun is usually its antecedent. That's the word it's referred to. So that would be time here. Let's see if that's the correct. So that might not seem right, initially, at least. But in this you rejoice. Um, you know, so in Greek it's going like, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in which you rejoice. That's how the, the sentence continues in Greek. Then you go, keep going, down to, here's another period. You may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him. So there's your pronoun. You know, whom you have not seen. So that's how it would continue. So that's the connection. It's between Jesus and him. That's the link. And then do we have another one? Nope, that's it. So what is that then? Well, I guess we do have another one because you have this, this here. You have Jesus Christ through, you have not seen him, and then you have him through, but you do not see him. It just connects that same thing. So what do we have? Like, so five sentences there? That in Greek is just one sentence. Okay. Although... Sentences are kind of, because I don't know that when, when Peter's writing this, they necessarily use punctuation either. <laughs> so you just have these words strung together, and when the sentence ends, it's kind of tricky to figure out either. Um, they don't just have one subject and one verb. <laughs> if you just try to imagine this, imagine trying to, you know, as I thought about putting on the, on the sheet here, diagram the sentence then now. <laughs> you ever did that in school? Like this thing would be, Crazy and and the, all those like you never did diagramming sentences, all those little diagonal lines that connect things. That's what you'd be dealing with here. 
and it would just keep going, doom, 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 doom all the way down to the bottom. Um, that kind of thinking, which is why uh, people who, uh, it, it's required for a language like this, or, or it develops when you learn a language like this, there's a kind of thinking that's kind of like nested logical thinking where you have to connect this and you have to remember that this goes back to this. Um, people who do computer programming find it's that same kind of thinking that's required. So some people who have, found, who have gone to school to study classical languages like Latin and Greek, who then found it very useful when they went to computer programming <laughs> because it required that same kind of, you know, you know computer programming is all these yeses and noes, ones and zeros. Um, everything is, if this, then this, if not this, then this, and, and the language kind of does that same thing and requires that same sort of thinking. All right, so that, um, what's the purpose for just having one sentence? It just shows the connectivity between the whole thing. This is one long song, like a hymn of praise, we might call it, um, but what is it? So it starts with this word, blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you might notice if you have the NIV in front of you, it uses the word praise there. Um, that's oftentimes used as a sort of a synonym or of another translation for uh, this oigetos uh, in Greek. Um, it's, it's probably a different thing, uh, praise and blessing, uh, to... Because there are different words for that, there's a different word for praise. In fact, we have one. Uh, if we go down, down here, we have the word praise. This is as a noun um, later on. But there's another word for praise be to God in Greek uh, and, and in Hebrew too. Um, so this is a unique word, but we're not always as sure. Because I had someone ask me a couple of years ago, why we, as in a, in a liturgical service, why we said bless, I think like, let us bless the Lord. And they were confused by that. Um, I think our modern translations will translate that, let us praise the Lord, um, let us bless the Lord, and that confused them. God blesses us, what, what, what are we blessing God? Well, this is the way the Bible speaks. Um, but it's not the same thing as just praise. Um, exactly. Um, so, just to, to look at a couple of other places where this uh, is used uh, here, this is uh, Luke 168. This is the beginning of the Benedictus. That's what Benedictus means, blessed be. Uh, the Benedictus, that's the song of Zechariah. So after he opens his mouth, after, remember, the baby John the Baptist is born, and he's able to now talk again. Uh, finally, this, this song of praise called the Benedictus. This is a wonderful, um, wonderful piece. It begins this way. Uh, we, that doesn't come from nowhere. That's very similar to the language in the Old Testament, which I'll show you in a little bit. The language in the Old Testament that uses this uh, in Hebrew is Baruch, Baruch Adonai. This is this common way both of praying and of praising uh, the Lord God for what he does. Uh, you'll see it all over in the Psalms. Blessed be the Lord. Um, I'll show you some of those verses in the next page. Um, just a couple of other, so in Romans, Paul uses it, God, the creator who is blessed, blessed forever, blessed. What the, the term means uh, in Greek is, is it, it's, uh, it's what the word eulogy comes from, oilogetos, um, means good speech. So you're saying something good about. So here is to, to and so we can understand when, when they translate it praise, it's to, to speak what, what good God has done. 
and to honor him for the good that he has done. Romans 5, God who is all blessed forever. And notice that here, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, that's the beginning of another letter by Paul. But he does the same thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The same, same kind of language that Peter uses. Um, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever. And then at the beginning of Ephesians, this enter, opening to Paul's letter to the Ephesians is very similar to what Peter does in this letter. Um, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and a lot of the other things that he, he does in that, those opening verses. So it's a very common phrase. But I want to show you, show you the Hebrew ones. Um, there's a ton of them. Well, a ton of them. There's 53 that are listed here. Just from an English search. I didn't search for the, the Hebrew word. But you have um, Genesis 9, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. 14, Blessed be Abraham, Abram by God Most High. Blessed be God Most High. Um, Genesis 24, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. Genesis, so you see that in, in Genesis, in Exodus, Deuteronomy here, Judges. This is maybe a little bit different, although it's the same word. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. That's in, in Ruth, talking about Boaz. But Naomi, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, after she um, receives a son-in-law. Blessed be you to the Lord. But that, I just want to scroll down to the Psalms. You see these. Psalm 18. Blessed be my rock. Blessed be the Lord. My guess is in the NIV, some of these you would find praise there. But they did have a different word in Hebrew for praise. That's the word hallelujah, praise the Lord. Um, uh, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. That's very similar to Zechariah's. Blessed be God. Blessed be the Lord. All right. So he's doing, he's not making something up here. This is a, a, a common expression. Uh, just as an example of where this is a different word, even the glory in Chelsea's when we sing that. Glory be to God on high and on earth, peace, good will. We praise you, we bless you, we worship you, we glorify you, we give thanks to you, for your glory. Now we list those all, like showing that they're not all exactly the same thing. They're not all equal. There's a little bit of a difference there. Similar in meaning, this speech. Uh, interestingly, the, the word, the Hebrew word um, that this comes from, in the Old Testament, is, is actually the, the same word as for kneel. Um, like kneel is sort of the active word and the passive is, is this blessed. So it's like be kneeled. <laughs> Probably or possibly the idea comes from someone who receives a blessing. A good word kneels it to receive the blessing. And so to bless is the passive, is to be kneeled. <laughs> kind of, I don't know if that's sound uh, or uh, bulletproof there, that, that argument, but it seems that sometimes those Hebrew roots are tricky. But blessed be the God. So when he's doing that, he's going to say this. But what is the, all the way through the Psalms, too? When we sing, blessed be the Lord, it's not just like, yay, God. Um, it's... It's, it, you can imagine that in following this is going to be a depiction of the good things that God does and has said. Um, he's going he's gonna to get it. That's just exactly what he's going to do. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when you, the, the God and Father uh, go together of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We might 
scratch our heads and think the God of Jesus isn't Jesus. Jesus is God. Well, the Bible will speak that way. In his humanity, um, Jesus, uh, Jesus says to his disciples after the resurrection, I am ascending, returning to my God and to your God, to my Father and your Father. Um, that, again, according to his humanity, um, God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, too. And the Father, which makes him, of course, the Son, uh, having the, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, Then the main verb there, he has caused us to be born again. Now, to be born again. That's a, a kind of a, a loaded concept. You'll hear people talk about being born again, like a born again Christian. Um, so we want to think about that. How does he say this happens? Um, how does one get to be born again? What, was, what will that mean? <coughs> We, we see that Jesus refers to that in his uh, exchange with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Um, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he comes to him at night. And Nicodemus, I could uh, show you some context there. I'm going to add a little bit to John 3. I can make this bigger. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. You know, you're a teacher. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answers, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he's not talking about a physical, natural birth again. Right? You don't enter into the mother's womb. What does he talk about? Um, a hint might be in this phrase of born again here in this section. The word can actually mean like be born from above too. Uh, to be born from above or to be born again. It works both ways. This is a, 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 like a spiritual rebirth. It is, it is a new life that is given. What happens when someone is born? They are given life. And it's to say that you are given life again. And that baptism. Yeah, so Jesus is going to instruct us on how this happens here, and then I think in other places too, that's going to be the context. What does Jesus mean when he says to be born again? How does one get to be born again? Does one get to be born? And it's going to be a parallel between the way you were born the first time. How were you born the first time? Well, there was, there was water there involved too. Um, but the, but what, who, is, who does the born... Who does the boarding? Who does the bearing? Who does the giving birth? It's not the one giving, being born, right? Who's the, who's the agent in birth? Mother. Say the mother, right? Um, or properly we could say God is the one who does that too, right? God is the one who gives life. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so the person doesn't decide to be born. They don't choose to be born. This is something that happens to you. And same thing with this one. How does it happen? He says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. And he doesn't spell out, specifically, he doesn't use the word, Jesus doesn't use the word baptism here, but from the other scriptures where we're going to be, when we're tying water, 
and being born, new life, being granted with the Spirit, all of the passages that talk about baptism are going to talk that way. To be born of water and the Spirit, of water and the Word, as in Titus. Um, you must be born. Don't marvel that I say you must be born again. So, um, let's, I'm going to close this or narrow this down back. Just to see some of these. So we've got Peter here. Oh, uh, this is, so we're here in chapter 1. We're in verse whatever, 4, 5. Um, skip a couple verses ahead up to verse 23. And Peter is going to, he's going to refer to this again in just a little bit. When we get to verse 23, he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. So what is it that caused you to be reborn? The word of God did. All right? Um, and then there's Jesus in John 3 saying, You kept what one is born again. Um, here in Titus, I mentioned this before. Uh, God saved us. How? Not by works done in righteousness, by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So by the working, through washing, by regeneration. What's regeneration mean? A generation is another group that is born. Right? And so to be regenerated is to be reborn. That's got that root in there. So, by, so he calls it the washing of regeneration. The washing of rebirth. Yeah? Um, that's a marvelous passage there. Uh, James, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Again, there's the word doing it, and to bring us forth, to grow us, to make us come forth, um, kind of like a first fruits. So it's the idea, not here necessarily being born, but of, of growing, yeah, of growth. Uh, coming forth, like thinking like of a plant, coming forth out of the earth. Uh, and then in Ephesians, so... Being reborn is to be re-lifed, right? New life put into to one. Well, if even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead, God made us alive. So there's a re-living, a new life made us alive with Christ, which is by grace you've been saved and raised up with him. So given life to what was dead is, is part of this. Uh, also then Colossians, having been buried with him in baptism. See, it brings baptism back in there. Um, that we were dead, and because we were connected to Jesus' death in his and, and burial, in which you were also raised with him. So in baptism, we're put into Jesus, and he's, he died, and he rose. So if we're put into him in holy baptism, he, we die, and we rise. Um, how did that happen? Who did it? The powerful working of God. So who does the raising? Who does the new birthing? The, the born again? Um, the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Uh, Ephesians 2. We are his work which have created in Christ Jesus. So this new creation language uh, that we should walk in these, these good works which God prepared for us. Um, in Galatians, talked to Paul, a new creation. So you see, the, the New Testament is full of this kind of language. Of this, it's not just a one, one spot thing. Um, so when Peter writes, 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. That's a good translation. I think um, given us new birth, both of those depicted coming to us from the outside. Given us birth. Yeah? It is according to his mercy. Um, but now that we have this new life uh, given to us, caused us to be born again. What for? And so there's going to be two things um, set next to each other that they're for. And you see them with the word to. We are born again to a living hope, to an inheritance. All right? So the first, this living hope, what is hope? Now, we, now we're starting to look towards the, towards the future. Hope is in something that we cannot see. Hope is, is looking, is... Um, a lot of things that we might hope. You know, all of our life we have hopes. How many of those hopes come to fruition? And what do we call those hopes when they are dashed, when they don't come? Um, many things that we might hope happen. And, and that's why sometimes people will, we, we need to be careful or pay attention. When we, use, when we see the word hope in the New Testament or in the, in the Bible, that we don't, we don't transfer into that our ideas of our, our hopes, right? We have all kinds of hopes. And we'll say, I hope, you know, I hope to be a millionaire someday. I hope to uh, whatever. Uh, all kinds of things that may or may not happen. And uh, the context is going to make this word more certain than that. But it is something to, in, in the future, but it is not a dead hope. It's a living hope. So that's a, that, that changes it. That modifies it. What is a living hope? A hope that's still alive, right? As long as there's a as long as that, that life has hope in it, there's I, this is this is good. A dead hope is, is something to put beyond. What makes it a living hope? <laughs> Jesus is living. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it's not for the resurrection of the dead, your faith. Your hope, St. Paul says your faith is futile. Peter might say your hope is dead if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. Um, it's centered on this fact, this, this, this reality. You see why Easter is such a big deal for us. And in particular, it's not the feelings of Easter, not the sentiment of it, but it's of the reality of it. It's the fact of it. He was dead, and then he wasn't. And through that, that gives this hope it makes this hope not just a wish. It's now a confidence. Jesus is my confidence. Uh, my hope is living because my Jesus is living. And so he's, that's, what, that's what he's made me born again to. It's created a hope that lives. By him raising me from anew, that is giving new life in me by his power, by his working, by his grace, by his mercy. He's made this hope alive in me. Because Jesus rose from the dead. But also, like alongside with it, it's, it's a living hope. But what is the living hope? What is, what is the hope in? And he says, well, you've got an inheritance. Uh, an inheritance which makes that connects to being born again. How does someone get an inheritance, or how does one qualify for an inheritance by being born? 
if you're born into the right family, yeah? Um, generally, that's how inheritances work, is, is given um, to people that are born into one's house or family, right? And so how do we qualify for this inheritance? Well, by being born into this family. Um, and it's an inheritance, but an inheritance um, is oftentimes one that is hoped for because it doesn't, you know, it, it exists. Like, when does an inheritance start? Is it when the documents are written up, when the will or the, the, you know, the trust documents or whatever, you know, the legal documents are set up, or when it's, when you, when someone has to die, and then, when are you as someone's heir? I mean, the, 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 there's a culmination of that whole process, right? But, you know, when the child, when, you know, you think of like the, like like Abraham, you know, he thinks he's going to have his servant be his heir because God has. When does he now have an heir? When he has a son, when one has been born, yeah. And so we've been born into an inheritance, yeah. The 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 work that God has done to bring us to faith. This is what we're we're describing, right? Is the faith that He's given um, comes with an inheritance. But the inheritance, there's there's some part of it that's not like you don't have it yet. It's in my name, my name's on the will, but it's not mine, but it is mine, kind of thing. Yeah. Which, which always those inheritances, you know, like you, you, so, so a, you know, a child is born in the family, you know, he's, he's got a, some kind of trust or something like that with his name on it, but it's not really his. It's kept in what we call you know, a, a custodian or tr trusteeship, but we're gonna have that kept for us too. But we'll get to that, an inheritance. Um, but not an inheritance. Now it's going to have three words here that are describing what it's not. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and unfading. But all three negative terms, you know, describing what it is not, which is usually the way we're left describing um, glories of heaven in general, you know, where there is no crying or pain because that's what we know. And, and the, our best understanding of that is what's not there. And what in this, because all of our inheritances are in are perishable defiled or fading all of the things of this life decay and corrupt and rot uh, and go away uh, but this one is not imperishable undefiled unfading it never loses its power it never loses its strength it's never loses its glory um, and they're kept in heaven for you preserved um, it, it is imperishable, but if people fall away, it's gone from believing. Yeah, so if they don't receive it, then they, yeah, they don't get it. Right. It, 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 the, the, the inheritance is still imperishable. So, like, so, um, you know, if someone doesn't receive it, that doesn't, like, it, it's still imperishable, but, but someone could... Well, it's there for everybody. Yeah. Yep. Um, and this is a very um, kind of a tender uh, phrase here. Kept in heaven for you. And he has, it, interesting how he, the, the language that he uses, you know, he does say, God, Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, these kind of first plural um, pronouns, us, 
He has caused us. So when Peter's writing this, who's the us? It's him and the people that he's writing to. But he didn't even know these people. You know, he had never met them. These are the these Christians in Asia Minor that he, you know, Paul was the one who had started all these churches. And yet he has this, this shared thing with him that they, he can say to them, he has caused us to be, and, and now he does that too. It's kept in heaven. And now he doesn't, now he doesn't say us, he doesn't say kept in heaven for us. He says kept in heaven for you. He wants to tell them something. It's a very personal, it becomes more personal when we, you know, it's it. You know, it is a different thing. Um, uh, for it, and, and it's sometimes there'll be the pastors who will never want to preach with a you, because they'll always want to say, us, God saved us. Um, because you want to include it. And Peter does that, so there's, a, there's appropriateness for that too. But there's also something more direct about saying, because I'm, when I'm talking to someone, to say, It's kept in heaven for you. God has saved you. You know, you look someone in the eye and you say, you. Um, uh, if they think of that at communion especially, right? The body of Christ given for you. And I love to be able to make eye contact with people at the communion when they, when they can, just because there's, there's something about eye contact that, that communicates you, you know. <laughs> I'm not, not picking on anyone uh, in particular, but, you know. Uh, to, so that so that we don't you know well you know it is true God loves all of us but I want you to know <laughs> I want every, you know each individual given for you given for you given for you lest anyone think well it's for all of us it's a you know you know it's a different different thing if you get a you know. Um, yeah, you're, you're in a family reunion and your, your grandma, as everyone's gathered together, I love, I love you all. Um, and you, you know she means it. Um, but when she pulls you aside and says, you know I love you. Right? Um, it's not a different kind of thing. It's not a different, but it, <laughs> it comes to us differently, doesn't it? Um, and they're kept in heaven for you. So, so this inheritance that is yours, um, where are you going to come together here? Uh, this heaven, the, you know, heaven awaits for you. It's kept for you. I wonder, I wonder. He might have used a plural, if that's possible. But I wonder if he, it is a plural. But, so it's you all. But, but still, um, it's, it's, instead of just saying us, um, you, now he's, so this is the connective here, you, who, who by God's power. So, the, the inheritance is kept in heaven, but guess what? Not just the, the inheritance, but you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, yeah, the inheritance can't be, can't be broken. You could fall away. And there are plenty of uh, efforts or um, forces. You know, there's, there's not like God's not going to withdraw his inheritance. God can't. He's put it into writing. He's made you his child. He's sealed you. He's born you. Like he, he's put you into his family. Um, the guarding comes against enemies. 
this is the, the word here, being guarded, is a military term. It's, it's, it's to stand, stand sentry, to be guarded against enemies that would come and attack. And there's plenty of them, right? That would come to attack. They can't, they can't get at, the, they can't actually attack the, the inheritance, but they can attack you. And so you are guarded. How? By God's power and through faith. Um, and these aren't, these aren't two separate things. Um, this is a good example to show us that this working, this preserving that God does for us, is an effort of his power. His power is not attacking us. It would be ready to stand against the enemy who would guard, it, we're guarding against, right? Um, and that that is what faith is. Faith is a part of God's activity to guard us from dangers that would keep us from our inheritance. God, God's action to defend you against the, the enemy is how he keeps you in faith. What keeps you in faith is not the stuff that you do to make your faith stronger, although we have things to, to do and we want to do, but it's God's power to defend you against him and, and that, that protects you in faith. Um, guarded through faith for salvation. So it's not like your faith is always it's really strong. You're going to be the defense. <laughs> you know, God's, God's on guard. Yeah. Um, and he gives you faith to withstand some of these, these attacks for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, so you have this word. Um, it's the word re reveal, revelation, apocalypse in Greek. Um, is this revealing? And that's going to come a number of times here. It's going to come later on, down below. Um, the revelation of Jesus. That's what the book of Revelation is called. The revelation of Jesus Christ to St. John. When, when Jesus is revealed. Um, so, But here it's talking about this salvation that is ready to be revealed. Namely, it's not seen yet. Right? It's still an inheritance in heaven. It's not something that you can grasp and, and, and touch but it will be, it's ready to be revealed in the last time. And we want to talk about this last time, what that is. I think I have a question about that. Uh, well, that's the last question because it's going to come back up again. But, so let's think about it now, but what will come back. Um, when are the last times in which Jesus Christ will be revealed? Later on, it's going to spell that out a little bit more. The question is, is when is this last time? The last times. Do you hear you hear about stuff like that? When do people say the last time? Or what is the last times? When, like close to Judgment Day, kind of like the very end. Like when? And what do people say about it? What's kind of? Or is it the cross? What's that? Or is it the cross revealed himself? Well, that's yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of is this um, you're going to hear in the gospel for today for this Sunday Jesus is talking about these you know like last times too and he's specific and he says it's going to be worse than it's ever been you hear you've heard stuff like that before unprecedented this unprecedented this and this this and everything we forget that stuff has happened ever before um, uh, and we think that things are unprecedented a lot of times they're not but Jesus is actually going to say it's going to be unprecedented so it's never been that, it's, it'll never have been that bad, and it will never be again be as bad as what Jesus describes. Um, 
And so he does talk like this, and he does this tribulation. We're going to have these trials that he's going to talk about that we're going to be experiencing. And Jesus is going to talk about trials too, a, a, a tribulation that will be so great. But it's not as though there's this period of time, you know, and we can maybe count the times, whether that's a seven-year tribulation or a thousand, whatever. Um, if, if Peter wanted to, this word time, there's two main words for time in Greek. One is chronos, like chron chronological, and that's the word that we use for time, like on the clock, uh, that you could count. The, the other word, kairos, uh, is used when we're talking about the right time, at the appropriate time. It's not talking about like a time that you can count, but a time that fits certain parameters. A time when someone, you know, there's a time to do this and a time to do that. There's an appropriate time for this and a time for that. That's, that's the one that's here. It's not in the last days or months or weeks or years, but of the appropriate time. Um, that's going to be that's going to be useful because what is you know when is this is this the end or is this now? Um, that's going to be helpful because this next phrase is going to this is the one where we said hey, what's the this? When I read in my English Bible before looking at, at looking at it closely. I thought maybe this was, it was not going to a time that, that in this, it seemed like it would be, maybe go back to this salvation. That we rejoice in this salvation. Or we rejoice in this, maybe this whole like thing. Um, this is what, like, Greek is useful. Um, because there are pronouns. And the pronouns have to match the, the word that they're referring to. Um, uh, in this case, not, not the case, but the gender of the words in Greek have gender. Uh, and so, salvation, soterion, is a feminine word, and this is not a feminine pronoun. It's a masculine one, and this is a masculine word. Um, so you can tell in Greek which word it goes to, oftentimes, by the, 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 the matching. And so when he says to be revealed in the last time, in this re you rejoice, he's talking about this time. Um, which is going to be important. So it's not talking about the, like what we're rejoicing in, but when are we to rejoice? And the rejoicing, he says, is now. Because later on, in this you rejoice, present tense. He doesn't say you will rejoice. So this, this last time when Jesus is to be revealed, which is going to be fully at, at some point, but it's not like all at once. But this salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time, and in this you rejoice. Even now, you rejoice, which is going to be stunning, because he's going to go on to say, now, what's happening now? Trials, testing. You're going to have suffering now. But in this, because he has done all of this, in this time, as Jesus is to be revealed, you rejoice. And this word rejoice here is, is stronger. I don't know if, maybe the NIV app, they did add, you greatly rejoice, which is probably helpful. Uh, it's like, rejoice exceedingly. I don't know if, I think I did look up that word um, somewhere here. Here. 
<laughs> Rejoice and be glad we had that in the gospel um, last Sunday. For, no, All Saints. Is that last Sunday? Yeah, it was. Uh, um, Rejoice and be glad, he tells, that when, when um, you are persecuted, <laughs> he says, rejoice and be glad. And the word he uses is this, like, rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Like, it's a big rejoicing. It, um, it's the word Mary in the Magnificat uses, uh, rejoice. Uh, so in this, I think in this time, during, while this is happening, in this you rejoice now, continually, present tense, not will be when it's fully revealed, not you will rejoice when you're in heaven, it's you rejoice now, greatly, you rejoice now, though, for a little while, so you've got this, um, there's a couple things that should also contribute to our joy, even though we're going to be suffering, we're going to be experiencing these various trials. A couple of things, Uh, this phrase, for a little while. Um, maybe, you know, there are circumstances in which, you know, it's not going to last forever. Is not that helpful to someone who's suffering. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much it helps, you know, like a, a woman giving birth in childbirth. Almost there. It's almost over. <laughs> yeah. Not helpful right now. Um, and at the, in the moment to say it's only for a little bit. But it is only for a little bit. That puts, gives us perspective. This thing that you're suffering now, not, not this, it's this. So there's part of that hope that we have that says this, this won't be forever, because that's the worst, that would be the worst of it, wouldn't it? If we were to be in that pain, and we were to think, if you imagine that in child, childbirth, and to not know that it was going to end. Which probably the, the most excruciating pain, that's, that's the worst thing that we would fear, is that there's no end to it. If I know there's an end to it, at least I have something to hope for. So, it's, that's not a throwaway, not for a little while. Also, if necessary. Um, the, the, the phrase there, if it is necessary, relates to it being God's will, if it is God's will, if it needs to be. That we're not exposed to more suffering than is needed. Um, and who knows what, what is necessary. Um, that this needs to happen, um, that God has determined that this is good. And I will only put this on you if it needs to be. Um, (laughs) To hopefully allow us to continue to keep our trust in the one um, who who watches over all of this. One, he knows, he who knows all my woes knows how best to end. And he only knows that, that only gives me this, only puts me on this, if, if necessary. <coughs> if it is necessary. And if, it, and, and if it's coming upon me, then it's necessary. He wouldn't put this on me if it wasn't. It's not random. It's not, you know, um, you know poor old me or, you know, God hates me. Um, on his children, they can know this. They can know that there's nothing that he puts on you that wasn't necessary. Wouldn't have done it if it wasn't. And we try because we trust him and we believe in him. Though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. What what are these trials? We had already said that you know the 
the Christians in Asia Minor weren't suffering under the persecution like they were if they had been in Rome not too long before this. You know, and they had probably heard about some of the things. They had heard, both they and their pagan neighbors had heard about the hatred. You know, they had heard about Nero blaming uh, the Christians for the, the, the fire in Rome. Or they had heard about Christians perhaps being lit up like torches to light the streets. They had heard of those things. Um, it doesn't sound like they were experiencing that there yet. There was no empire-wide persecution. But I don't suppose um, any of that hearing was making their neighbors like them anymore. Um, and so they were experiencing trials. Um, but what kind, we're, we're not really told. Um, could, could they be um, just the regular trials of human life? I suppose they could. This seems to, um, seems to suggest that some of these trials as we go into the book that they were experiencing trials because of their faith in Christ Jesus. And those are those are two sort of separate things and we want to distinguish them. There's the, there's the trials that come with living in a fallen world that all of us experience. You know, everything from getting sick to losing a loved one, you know, all of the, the, the stuff, the heartache of, of, of normal life. And then there's suffering as a Christian because you're a Christian um, and they're... But it's, it's possible that those merge together. And, and the, the reason for that is this, that when a Christian, when the ordinary trials that come upon every person, everyone gets sick. But when a Christian gets sick, it's not a different sickness. Um, and he's not getting it because he's a Christian. But, there, but it does something different to the Christian than it does to the non-Christian. And it can serve in this way too. It can serve as a cross that Jesus places on us, even though everyone gets sick. For the Christian, the sickness can strengthen his faith. Right? Um, so, so you can see that even, even the, 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 the ordinary trials that can go, come upon people can also, for, for the Christians, serve in a similar way to those particular sufferings that are on him specifically because he's a Christian. Because he said, I, need, I can't speak lies about something, and I didn't speak the lie, and then I get punished for it. Right? That's a different kind of suffering. But they can both have the same effect. They are still suffering. Uh, and that's why when he, you know, when he talks about various trials, there are all kinds, of all kinds, Tests um, and what is being tested? The tested genuineness of your faith, uh, so that so this is the the result that the t what when when you are tested, this your faith is tested to be genuine. And then he has this comparison with the testing of gold. Um, I think I have this. Um, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. And that, that language comes up often. Um, there's, there's three passages too that talk about the refining of, of silver and gold. Um, refined them as one refines silver. So what happens when, when a, a precious metal is, is uh, tested? One, it tests its genuineness. Um, it, things that are 
impurities in it will melt away, but the you know the gold will remain, and and so they can be it can separate out what is false, um, so that the the testing doesn't destroy the thing that it's testing. It it makes it more genuine and in fact more purified, um, and so the the trials for the Christian are hot. But what, and Peter here, he's not really referring so much to what gets burned away, but showing that it's genuine. Showing it, it kind of melts off all pretense, all uh, kind of any fakeness with it, um, and, and shows that, that in, the, in the trial, you know, when someone is left with all I've got, it's like, um, I'm Christ the Saul. That him? Um, is that him? When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When everything else that I might have falsely placed my trust in is gone, well, now I can't falsely or I can't put my trust in that, you know? Like, if, if, my, if my, it turns out my trust had been in my own abilities, when I find that out is when my own abilities go away. You know? I could always walk everywhere I went easily without thinking about it. And now I get old and I, my, I break my hip or something like that. Now I can't walk anymore like I used to. And there was a certain amount of, of, of trust that I put in my ability to do what I want. And now I can't do what I want anymore. Now what do I do? Now I learn to trust. Um, and so what is... Trials sometimes do that. They pull away things that we did in some way trusted and relied upon. And, and I think we could say that for the Christian life, much of life, little or either a little at a time or all of a sudden, God does pull these things away from us, doesn't he? Um, and, and perhaps as we get, we get older, more and more of those things come. And... Um, eventually, almost all of them. You know, the last thing that he pulls, perhaps, is our breath. But everything that has breath, praise the Lord. But eventually, because that's, we, 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 we rely on these things. We rely on them. <laughs> and, and the heart just beating, and the blood pumping, and the, you know, all of the things, right? But if they're taken away, we say, okay, Okay, that can be gone. Well, but as long as I have Jesus, I'll be all right. Yeah? And then he takes away all my money. And I'm like, well, as long as I have Jesus, I'll be all right. And then he takes away my, my mind. And I say, as long as I have Jesus, and he takes away my breath. And I say, as long, I have nothing left. I say, as long as I have him, I have everything. See, he's purified. Yeah? And he does that for us. Uh, Test the genuineness of your faith. We're out of time, and I forgot to put out the, the sheet of the hymns that we was going to um, switch to, so we don't have one. So I think we'll just close then with uh, the blessing, the apostolic blessing. You know what? You know, let's sing the doxology. Can we do that? We, we should sing. Uh, you, you know that a little bit. Three, three thirty.
Yes. 